You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now step into the arena of ideas with your host, Dr. Brian Shelton. Coming to you from the mystic, majestic mountains of Northwestern North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christian Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, my name is Dr. Brian Chilton. I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes to an hour that we have together as we discuss the issues that truly matter. Uh, we talk about everything on the podcast from theology, biblical studies, um, uh, philosophical studies, history, and a whole lot more. Uh, we discuss the issues that truly matter and that have eternal lasting value. Uh, we are joined tonight. Uh, well, let me first of all say before we get into that, we have a double header on tap for you tonight. Coming up here in um, about an hour and a half or so, we will be joined by our cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo, as he leads us in uh, the second episode of the Question Zone. And we're going to discuss several different issues tonight, talking about uh, uh, archaeology, talking about um, issues concerning when is it best to gauge when you should stay at a church, leave a church, uh, as, as God is directing you, and a whole lot of other difficult different issues that we'll talk about tonight. Uh, that's coming up tonight. If you're on the live stream with us, it'll be coming up, up around 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, but tonight, we are for our episode right now, we are joined by a very special guest, a good friend of mine. Uh, this is Dr. T.J. Gentry. Uh, over the past few weeks, we've been discussing the inspiration of Scripture, uh, the importance of the inspiration of Scripture. But last week, we talked about the three eyes and very briefly uh, touched on the three eyes, inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy. And it seems like today, of all of the three eyes, inerrancy is the one that is viewed with the most critical lenses among even among many evangelical scholars. Uh, so tonight we want to discuss inerrancy, biblical inerrancy. Does it matter for a Christian? Does it matter for us in today's time? And again, we are joined by Dr. T.J. Gentry. He has been with us uh, several times, and and uh, he is our associate vice president here at Bellator Christi. Uh, just a great man, a pastor of First Christian Church at West Frankfort, Illinois, and the list could go on and on and on. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Gentry, thank you for being on with us tonight. Uh, it's great to be here, Dr. Chilton. I am so blessed to be part of the team, and I'm really excited about uh, this topic in particular. Well, I, I, I've been chomping at the bit, and I kept my introduction shorter than normal because I wanted to give you the full amount of time to discuss this issue because this is a very important topic. And uh, whenever whenever this came up, my mind automatically went to you and thought TJ would be perfect for this discussion. So you, let, let's jump right into this. So last week we gave just a very brief definition of the three eyes. How would you define the three eyes of scripture being inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy. Well, I love a good alliteration. So I like that we are working <laughs> with three eyes. Uh, inspiration, it, it, it speaks to that quality of scripture that really touches on its source. It is God breathed, God given, theonoustos in the Greek. Uh, it's the language that Paul uses in one of the important 316s in scripture, 2 Timothy 316. And that, and that speaks to, it is, it is God having spoken to us, inspirated the word. Um, when we talk about the next two eyes, infallibility and inspiration, there is a, a link between them, um, Whereas inspiration tells us about its source, uh, infallibility and inerrancy speak to different qualities that the scriptures have because of that source. Uh, infallibility is that idea that it, it, it can't mislead and, and it doesn't have the quality it doesn't mislead. Uh, therefore, it's infallible. And inerrant means it, it, it does not have errors and it will not err. And, and there's that causal link between inspired by whom that author 
if if he is who he says he is, if he is who we can biblically and reasonably conclude that he is, then I, I firmly believe in fallibility and inerrancy. They they are necessary necessary connectors. Amen. Amen. So infallibility, just kind of for the flesh, just that you would say that that would mean that the Bible contains no errors whatsoever, historically, scientifically, so on and so forth. That's correct. It 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 it, it speaks to a quality in in the scriptures that um, that they're they're never going to mislead. Um, that they're not capable of of misleading because of their author. The, the, and we're talking there about the divine source of scripture. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it does make sense because if, you know, if you if you believe that God is the author of Scripture, then it would seem to at least suggest that inerrancy would be the the natural outflow of that conclusion. Absolutely. I, I, one of the, the things that, frankly, Brian, mystifies me is how often discussions of Scripture being authoritative and being a message from God, and then if someone quickly introduces, but I, I'm not saying or holding a brief for infallibility or inerrancy, it, what I'm mystified is by is this. There is a direct connection between who you're saying God is and what you're saying Scripture is. And to to affirm its authority, to talk about it coming from a good God, and then to say, uh, but I leave room for infallibility and inerrancy. That's ultimately not just an assault on the text. That's an undermining of our theology proper. Who is God? I think it, it comes down to a deeper theological issue uh, with grave moral implications about God and in, in, in his being. And I, let, let, let me jump into this. I have so many things, <laughs> so many rabbit trails I can go off of there. Um, well, let, let me just run one quick one, and this kind of coincides with with a question that was presented for our questions on coming up, and I'd like to get your insight on this. Why do you think, and this is a question we handle a little later on too, tonight too, uh, why do you think so many people are, are inclined to be led astray from the authority of God's word, from the from, – from, um, from not only not only the inerrancy but inspiration or, or inerrancy both. Why you know why do you feel that people are being led away from these three eyes? I think that uh, many in the Christian circle are hungry for Jacob's stew or, and and uh, for for Esau uh, to do what Esau did with the stew, and they want to give up a birthright. Mm. And, and it's a it's a false dilemma. Um, we we certainly want to have a voice in our culture. We don't want to have a, a voice like our culture, and that's an important distinction, but we do want to have a voice in our culture, and we can fall prey to this idea that in order to have a voice in our culture, I need to compromise the distinctives of my Christian commitments, uh, infallibility and inerrancy being part of those distinctives, and therefore the, the idea is, and I, and I think that it's a good but misguided impulse. I don't want to get people hung up talking about infallibility or inerrancy. Um, so what I want to do is I, I, I kind of want to catch a big net here and just get them interested in God. And then maybe either later I'll bring in the topic of my understanding of the high view of scripture, or that doesn't really matter. But here's the thing. You end up letting a bad God in the door when you are not saying an inspired word is logically, and I think inexorably in the text of Scripture, shown to be an infallible or an inerrant word. So, I, so I think it's it's a desire to meet a a felt need in the church. We want to have our voice. We're hungry for the stew, as I as I butchered that earlier with Esau, but you got the idea. And and in doing that, we're going to give up our, our birthright if we're not careful. I, I think also underneath it, um, and th- and this is one of the the reasons why theology has to be reminded you are in service to the church mm-hmm. because what i what i think can happen is in the church we so desperately want to be able to survive in a difficult environment that we end up 
forgetting that the only thing that sets people true is the knowledge of the truth, sets people free is the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. And we have to, if we want to see real faith, proclaim the word of God. And if the word of God says it, sidelining a particular aspect of that is not going to bring faith and it's not going to lead to freedom. It's going to cultivate this incipient unbelief and it's also ultimately going to lead to bondage. And, and the enemy is just waiting on the church to tie up her own hands when we do that. That is a mic drop moment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, appreciate that. I, I, and I feel it in my bones because I, I feel the tug in the pastorate uh, where people are, are saying, do we have to really stand on inerrancy? Do we have to really think it meant what it said? There's no other choice. It's like Peter to Jesus. Where else are we going to go? You've got the words of life. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I mean, and, and that's that's so true. I mean, because it, it seems like, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems like that so often we are so concerned about, and I'm not saying numbers aren't important, don't get me wrong here, but it seems like sometimes we are so we, we emphasize numbers to the point and degree that that we elevate that over biblical fidelity in in my mind and and not true of every place, not true of everywhere, but it seems like that in at least some circles that seems to be the case that to remain relevant to remain appealing let let's just sweep some of these things to the side and and not focus on those yes we are swimming in a sea, especially in the western church where the water all around us says, if you want to know if a ministry is effective, count noses and count nickels. You got a lot of noses. You got a lot of nickels. You got effectiveness. God cares about every nose. God owns every nickel, but that is not how God measures ministerial effectiveness. It's directly related to adherence to the truth, both cognitively and in our hearts and it working itself out into our lives. And and a a lot of times uh, people will compartmentalize this discussion of inerrancy and infallibility as though it does not have this flow out through our lives until they run up against a time when they have to stand on inerrancy or infallibility. And then they realize, uh, yeah, I've got a problem. Mm. Oh, I knew folks, this was going to be a good one. <laughs> so, so this kind of leads, I mean, and, and you may have already partially answered this, or you may have already answered this fully, but why does it seem that inerrancy of all the three eyes, why does it seem like it gets the most pushback of all? I think uh, it, it, it's two reasons primarily, Brian. One, I think that we are woefully inept, uh, and I lament this, and, and my ministry is committed to on my watch, trying to rectify that. It's the same as yours. We are woefully inept at giving a reason for the hope that's in us. And so what happens is the hope that's in us is tied to claims in scripture that require inerrancy. Uh, Either Mm -hmm. it tells us that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And that's a true representation of historical fact, uh, or it didn't. And if I'm not comfortable in the, the, the arena of ideas to, to appeal to the Bellator Christie line, if I'm not comfortable with that, then I'm going to give ground that needs to be taken. Because here's the reality. If, if, if we envision the soul that we're trying to reach is here, and our point is here, and the, the distance between us, the battlefield, is about issues of inerrancy and infallibility. Ultimately, can we trust that what God's word said is true? When we give those topics away to the world, we don't get close to that person. We get farther away. Standing mm-hmm. on those things is what taking ground is because at the end of it, there's a person that needs the freedom that only comes through Christ and God's infallible and errant word. I think that's one struggle. I think the other struggle is we are living in an epidemic of niceness. Now I'm a nice guy. I think, um, you know, I was I, in, in 1987, the, the high school I graduated voted me friendliest. All right. For what that's worth. <laughs> um, 
but but what happens is if we say most important to me is to be well received and to be nice then when we have to stand up and say but the bible isn't contradicting itself there are no errors this is a true statement and it reconciles with this we're going to eventually chafe against being perceived as not nice mm-hmm. and at the end we have to say am i concerned for the person enough to place truth above perceived kindness because let's be frank there's nothing kind in letting someone believe that god can't be trusted now that's, that's right that's unkind it's demonic mm-hmm. and so we, we we have this 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 inability to to take on the tackle to tackle the issues that are associated around infallible inerrancy that's the defending our faith and we just want to be liked more than we want to see lives changed now i'm speaking broadly there are certainly exceptions to this but that's the crying need of of pastors to be in pulpits and and sunday school teachers to say listen settle it now this is an inspired inerrant infallible word stand on it that's the only way you're going to make sense of your testimony and that's the only way you're truly going to do the best thing for that other person and if you really love them you want what's best for them that's love so stand on these things that's where i think it goes and I think you're absolutely right, because if you genuinely love that person, if you genuinely love another soul, then you're going to want to speak truth to them. I mean, so, if, for instance, if you see, well, there was a case that happened, I think it was back in the 70s uh, in, a, in an area close to where I live, where this bridge went out, and it was in the middle of a foggy night, and um, there were several cars that went off the bridge into the freezing waters. It was like January, February. And um, it went off into the waters, cold, chilly waters. But there were several people out there with flashlights trying to wave cars down, trying to stop them from going to, you know, to the bridge to, to go off to many, – many people died that night. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, if you know the bridge is out down the road, would you just – to be perceived as nice, would you just not say anything and let them go? Right, right. Or would you fervently say, hey, stop – there's a problem. You, you're going to you're going to hurt yourself if you keep going down this road. Yeah. It seems like to me, genuine kindness would be willing to stay stand up for the truth and say, "Hey, if you keep going down this pathway, you're going to be hurt." Rather than just not doing anything. And we're living uh, in instances uh, where we see that proven again and again and again. Um, wanting to n- not stand up and defend wanting to be nice has led to a lot of wokeness coming into the church. And listen, I'm as, as awake as I'll be because I'm alive in Christ. But underneath those things is deadly, pernicious, undermining truths. Uh, to, to use your, your, your sad story about the bridge, any Christian who backs away from the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture has just stood by the side of the road and turned off their flashlight. That's the problem. Turn on the light. This is a defendable text. Yeah. (laughs) Man, there's so many mic drop moments tonight. (laughs) Well, we bring it out in each other. Praise God for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and here again, this kind of coincides with what you just said. Uh, This question does, why is inerrancy still important to maintain in a world that's growing increasingly hostile to its concept? Uh, Yeah, and I think you kind of already addressed that, but anything else you'd like to to add to that? I I think that that a bit of nuance that I want to bring is this. One, there's a philosophical concern here now now a lot of a lot of christians they hear the word philosophy and they need to get in the fetal position they think oh, i can't do that you know and they have all these uh, recollections of philosophy 101 and that atheist professor and you know we make movies about that but <laughs> but philosophically w- when we talk about this issue um I, I i had a paper come out some time back that touches on this and basically it says this this is just in in, in an argument form God is absolutely perfect and good without imperfection, possible or real, moral or otherwise. You won't find a Christian 
that would that would if they're if they're serious about their faith that would say no I don't agree with that they would say yeah I, I agree that God is absolutely perfect or good then when you walk that down and you say okay that that absolutely perfect and good God is the author of Scripture and they're like yeah and then when you press this in and you say so to not deny inerrancy whether it's a moral issue that you have a scripture or a factual issue you're impugning the absolute perfection of the goodness of God so that's why we can say the Bible is God's word it's free from error whether it's moral or factual because we do not want to undermine who we're saying God is as I said earlier we don't want to let that bad God in the back door because he's not real he can't save Mm-hmm. So there's that there's that philosophical need to stand up, uh, uh, why it needs to be touched on. But there's a very real practical pastoral issue here. I spend a lot of time in the counseling room, uh, and and it, it is a it is a key part of my ministry. It's one of the most difficult parts of my ministry. And there there are generally two, broadly speaking, two types of counseling encounters. One, someone has gotten themselves in a situation where they need guidance and they trust that God's word can give them that guidance. And so I'm an integrationist. I, 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 whatever's true in psychology belongs to God. I have no problem appropriating it over into the column it should be in. And so when I talk to that person, there is a hope in them because they are lining up with God and his spirit. They're saying, God, your word is true. I trust your word. And so therefore I can walk it out and live it out. The other kind of person that comes in is a person who, who undoubtedly has a genuine need. It may be just a felt need, but it's probably a deeper need, but they're not sure they can trust the Bible. Mm-hmm. In that situation, the first thing I have to do is opportunities arise is say, here's why you can trust the Bible. When God says do this, here's why. Because you can trust what the Bible says. And that person will eventually make a turn a corner. They'll either turn a corner away or they'll turn a corner toward it. And when they turn the corner toward it, that's when the truth starts to set them free. All of that idea that I just communicated is tied to inerrancy. It's tied to infallibility. It's tied to the inspiration of God, of, of Scripture by God. And so if I really believe there's a good God, and boy, do I, then I really believe that if he's going to give me these deontic, these, these you must do things and leave it possible that maybe I can't trust his word, that's not a good God. But if he says, I'm a good God, I'm giving you these commands, I'm, I'm giving you this, I, I'm going to hold you accountable for it. My grace is going to help you keep it and you can trust it. Well, that's a different scenario. That's where we want to be. Mm-hmm. So, so you would say that in the life of a believer or the life of anyone that there comes a point in time where a spirit of repentance is needed. Absolutely, uh, uh, and I think that that I, I've been I've been walking with the Lord since 1978, and I'm grateful for that. This is my 40th year in ministry. I am continuing to find moments when I say, God, I just now realize I haven't believed what you said here was true. Forgive Mm -hmm. me for that. Help me to have implicit faith in you. I've got all the evidence that I can have implicit faith. I love, I love to paraphrase something that, that is attributed to Luther. He, He was talking about the importance of implicit, unquestioning faith in God. He said, if God were to tell me to drop to my knees in the street and eat the dung of an animal, I would do it. And I know it was good for me. Now, as only Luther could say, he was driving home the point, whatever God says, you can trust. So act on it. So yes, I think that, that, that we're always going to grow. You know, the church reformed and always reforming is a church that's always finding its way back to the deeper commitment to the text of scripture. I just had to pray the Lord never asked me to do that. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. One of the big problems that's often thrown against inerrancy um, consists of the so-called contradictions in the biblical narrative. So, for instance, uh, like the case with Judas Iscariot, uh, you know, one one text I believe says, you know, he he hung himself. Another text seems to suggest 
something else. I think it was Acts and was it Acts and another gospel, and uh, one of the gospels, I believe. Yeah. But that's just an example. How can we best work through these so-called contradictions? So let, let's just use that Judas example. So let's just say let's say I think that it's possible that there are errors in Scripture, and I say okay. So I'm coming to this believing this this could be an error. Is it possible using sound historical analysis, understanding the the the, the role of evidence from different perspectives that I could reconcile that error. And I could, uh, without any commitment to the Lordship of Christ, I could say it is entirely possible that both of those accounts, the one that he hanged himself, the one that he fell headlong and his, and his bowels burst out, that, that those are reconcilable. Possibly in the, if I'm in that mindset, I could say there is the first part. He hung himself. The second, the branch broke. Somebody found him after he had fallen and either after a time his body had burst open or he burst open on the rocks. Is that a plausible, reasonable explanation for facts that, that appear to be different, but on closer look can be reconciled? Yes. So from that, that skeptic perspective, I could say, I think there's a rationale here. It works. I believe I can trust that this isn't an error. Perhaps if I approach the rest of the alleged errors the same way, I'll come to that conclusion. Another way to approach it is if my presupposition is God is good, he is morally perfect, he has given me a word that he claims is from him, that he expects me to heed, then any alleged contradiction is going to be reconciled based on I know that God is not going to mislead me. And so then I go in saying, God, I know you're good. Help me to put the pieces together. And I do the same thing. Either way, whether I come from the skeptic's perspective to get to a defensible reason, or whether I say, I'm standing on the goodness of God, that's my philosophical foundation, there is a defensible reason. And I I don't mean this to sound, there is, God knows I don't have a shred of hubris when I say this. I defy anybody to show me one contradiction that can't be resolved. There isn't one. Now, if I determine I don't want it resolved because there's a moral implication, that's not an issue of evidence. That's a hard issue. Amen. Why is it? And this, and this is kind of a side question. As I was reflecting on these questions this afternoon, I was, I was thinking about this. I remember whenever I first entered into apologetics and theology, um, God brought me to a stronger faith and back in the ministry in 2005. By the way, thank you for your fidelity to the gospel ministry for 40 years. That that's incredible. Th- thank you so much for that. Uh, thank you. I, it's it's a joy. I, it's not always it's not always fun, but it's always a joy. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But you know, in t- since so, so t- 2005 I, is when I re-entered. You know, uh, when, when I entered the ministry, re-entered the ministry. Um, one thing I noticed in that time that there were a lot more scholars going into like what you're talking about, you know, finding harmony between the so-called contradictions. But yet there seems to be a push from some to to not even do that anymore. I mean, and it doesn't make sense to me because I am right there with you. I, I think that any so-called contradiction that could be found in Scripture can be resolved with a little historical analysis. Do you, do you, why do you suppose that there's some people going that route of kind of ditching the harm, harm, harmonization? I say it right, ring harmony between yeah. <laughs> two biblical passages. I, I think fundamentally there's a shift in how we train ministers, how we train yeah. pastors. I think that it, you would be hard pressed to find uh, most seminary programs having anything akin to a course on the importance of philosophical theology. Mm-hmm. Of course, on the importance of basic apologetics for the pulpit. Um, and so what happens is we we inadvertently, or maybe it was on purpose, I know the enemy likes it, uh, we move into a very, let's train ministers to get the biggest outcome, and that translates to nickels and noses most of the time. And so when you say, then what skill set do they need? 
well, they need to be a marketer. They need to be a really good communicator. Um, they need to, to, to have some emotional intelligence. And listen, I'm all for those things. I, we do need all of those. But do we really need to spend time teaching them how to resolve contradictions in the text? Do we need to spend time explaining to them the philosophical underpinnings of their faith? Uh, Brian, I, you know this. I was, I was halfway through a Ph.D. program at Liberty when I realized I have a huge gap in my learning. And I went back and did a master's degree in philosophy just to get myself caught up because I realized I can have all of these other things. But if I'm not thinking rightly, then I'm going to do the wrong thing with all these other things. Mm. I, I had the, the, the distinct privilege of hearing Dr., the late Dr. Norman Geisler give his final address to the plenary session at the uh, International Society for Christian Apologetics. And he was, he was feeble. Um, the Lord called him home not long after. And Dr. Geisler got up and he said something to this effect. Brothers and sisters, every generation has had to fight for the inerrancy of Scripture. I have fought my generation's fight. You have to fight yours. And he was right. Yeah, that's right. It, it's, it's the Edenic temptation, hath God really said, which is an undermining of the author's reliability, but God knows you'll be God's, which is an undermining of the author's integrity. It just manifests again and again and again. And our generation is wrestling with, are we going to stand on scripture or not? And my prayer is that we do. I know you and I are going to, and I know that Jesus has promised to build his church, but I also know this. Jesus does not use substandard building materials and the planks that are holding this thing up are written all over with inerrancy and infallibility. And we got bad lumber if we don't have those. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I guess all of us need to ask what, uh, what lumber are we using to build (laughs) our ministries? Wow. That is so powerful. Goodness. I knew this one was going to be good, folks. I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> uh, you're kind. I, I, I am enjoying it. You, iron is sharpening iron here, brother. <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I feel like mine has is, is been really sharpened tonight. Oh, my goodness, this is good. <laughs> so this might be a bit of a controversial question, but one that needs to be addressed. Uh, why does it seem like so many, even in the evangelical world, seem to ignore or reject inerrancy even even among the apologetic world today we seem like we're seeing that happen i i think that there are a few streams contributing to that that muddy river um one is we have access on an unprecedented level to everybody's thought about everything through yeah youtube social media platforms and there are a lot of very capable teachers who are not teaching scripture competently. And they have a lot more say in how the evangelical world thinks than I do as a pastor with 35 minutes in a sermon on Sunday morning, Sunday night, same thing, Wednesday night, the same thing. So, so we're, we're working against a tide of, um, pro- I'll just be as charitable as I can. Well-meaning incompetence that is super accessible. I don't mm-hmm. mean everybody needs to go out yeah. and get a PhD, but I mean, if you're going to say something about scripture, know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then I think also some key heavy hitters that are very well known have, for whatever reasons, introduced a line of thought that I believe leads others down the road to embracing a possibly errant text, a possibly fallible text. Um, and, and, and these are people that I have high regard for. Um, and and, I, and I'm, I'm certainly not trying to pick a fight with anybody, but 
I don't think that uh, N.T. Wright has done us any favors with his saying, let's not even introduce that term into the discussion. Um, I really wish that uh, Michael Kona had gone a different way mm-hmm. about uh, history. Now, I think what they are saying is academy speak. I think that they are saying things that need to be talked through and, and wrestled with. But they're saying them on a platform that has a huge reach. And most of those people are not going to, they may have the capability, but they do not have the equipping yet to nuance that stuff. And, and, and then I think one of the other reasons, and this is probably the, this touches on something I said earlier. We do not like being on the fringe of our culture as a church. Right. Yeah. And, Listen, if Jesus is on the fringe, then where else are you going to be? And I'm not saying that we, we all need to be unapproachable and disconnected, but loving the truth more than having a well-respected place at the table, that has to be our priority. Because ultimately, when we sit at God's table, that's what he's looking for. No, that's very true. And it seems to me that, and if I'm wrong here, correct me, it seems to me that we've built this celebrity-type culture where when you have individuals of that stature saying something, then those who are in that camp, they automatically just assume that what they're saying is true wholeheartedly. Like they become the, their priests or they become their um their advocates so to speak so that whatever whatever that person says becomes gospel and they never question it i mean i had a conversation with my son i picked him up from school today and and on the way home uh we were talking about something that was going on in in, um about someone who had these these weird beliefs about a particular thing what wasn't even religious based it was based upon something else but uh and i i made a point to say to him Everyone has a bias of some sort. Look for the truth, no matter if it what, no matter what it is. And I told him, I said, if he if he continues to go deeper in college and deeper in school, that you're going to need to have that even more than, than you do. Well, I mean, he needs to have it now, but needs to have it even more as as the further he goes. And not only in college, but also just in the world in general. When when you pick up a book, the author has a bias. When you hear someone, I mean, granted, we have a bias. We we have a bias that we do believe that God is good. We do believe that the Bible is inerrant and inspired and infallible. You know, if if you want to call that a bias, there. But look for the truth is what I'm what I was trying to tell them. And it seems like so many in these pockets they that they just automatically accept whatever's being fed to them without questioning the validity of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we all will have our Mars Hill moments. God will give us all and many times that opportunity to go up and and speak to our culture, whether it's our immediate context, whatever, maybe we've got a big microphone. And I think we have to ask ourselves, when I walk away from Mars Hill, do I want to be Paul or am I going to turn out to be a John Hick or a Clark Pennock? Am I going to say, listen, I'm in the, the pluralistic world. If I'm going to stand with Paul, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to have some that will believe I'm going to have some to say I'll hear more later. But if I come off of, of Mars Hill and I am as much a pluralist and confused as everybody up there, I've done a disservice to the gospel, but it sure does get you more likes. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm not nearly as cranky as this makes me sound, but we are never going to be called the faithful generation. We're never going to hear well done, good and faithful servant. If we are fidgeting around with the very substance of who God is and what he said. And that's why these issues are so important. Very true. Well said. (laughs) So how might a rejection of biblical inerrancy serve as a slippery slope leading to future or or additional problems? I think uh, if if I am 
marginal on my commitment to the inerrancy of, of Scripture. Basically, if I come to it, and let's just say I use a model, uh, revelatory inerrancy. So the things that God meant to tell me, I can trust. There's a lot of stuff in there I can't trust. Eventually, I'm going to say, you know what? If in any situation there are 10 areas that need to be addressed, and my, my view of Scripture only really gives me an answer for three, got to get seven answers somewhere. Well, the enemy is waiting with a lot of answers, and the world has a lot of answers. And there may be grains of truth in them, but if they are not nuanced through the inerrant word of God, they're going to lead to problems. And it will eventually work its way into the life of every person in the pew. The last year in calendar year 2022, um, I serve a congregation that averages about 155 people in worship on a Sunday. All right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's enough to say grace over multiple times. Um, last year in my counseling practice, I had about 560 counseling sessions, which is a lot. 90% of those counseling sessions. And I, I, I'm a stickler for numbers. I document this stuff. I look at trends. 90% of them were touching on issues of anxiety and at the core of them was an issue of some mistrust of God. And at the deeper issue, there was not a confidence in Scripture. Now, I don't believe that medicine is off the table. It certainly is. I don't believe that the whole panoply of treatments should be discarded just because the Bible doesn't say this. But I do know that in most of those instances, the reason that there was this persistent anxiety and a lack of peace with God comes down to at some point along the way, somebody lost confidence in God and his word. So it plays itself out into the lives of people. Now, here's the thing. Those people who are struggling, they're not going to stop looking for answers. And they're not going to find biblical answers if we don't give them a reason to trust that the Bible has the answers. Amen. So that's part of why I think that is. Could it lead to other theological problems? Do you see? You know, if if you start taking, I mean, because you, you've touched on the goodness of God, but could there be other aspects, theologically speaking, that may be impacted? Yeah, I I think so. I think that it it can get into um, the area of pneumatology. How do we understand the spirit uh, specifically? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not sure that God's written word is his primary means of communicating with me, but I really desperately want to hear from him, it's amazing how my own thoughts can start to sound like they're God's thoughts. And if right. someone's not there to check them against scripture, then the whole idea of Christians being a, a reasonable, stable people goes out the window. Sadly, some of the people who I believe love Jesus the most are uh, flakier than a box of frosted flakes. And and bless their hearts, it's because they have no root in Scripture, but they're not giving up on hearing something. And so their thoughts get jumbled. I think also if if we take uh, a strong commitment to Scripture away, it's going to affect how we assess the main cultural issues of our day. Uh, what is humanity? What is uh, a human being? What, what is human sexuality? What, what is authority? What is truth? What is truth? No, no Christian who understands that, that what Jesus said is right, that God's word is truth, should ever be caught saying, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. Hmm. That, that, now, they may mean something different than that, but words matter. And so I think it, it plays into that. And I think another area where it can really affect us is how the church does practical, um, what I would call benevolence ministry. Um, Our standing uh, and our commitment to scripture will play out in what it means to give someone a food box and a gospel track and a challenge and a prayer. 
But if I'm not sure that that word is living and active, I'm not sure it really is the context in which God usually is working faith, then it's real easy for me to do the food box and stop there. Well, I have just started doing an unbiblical example of benevolence. I'm not saying don't give them the food if they won't take the track. But if you're giving them the food, you need to give, give them the bread of life. Give yeah. them the track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I, I think those are some practical ways. TJ, this has been a fantastic episode. But before we cut you loose, uh, I, I want I want to say a word. I'm, I'm privileged to, to to partner with you in ministry about a brand new. Well, I think it's actually been around for a while, uh, but a publishing company that uh, you and your daughter Ireland have developed called Illative House Press. Uh, we are we actually have a project through Bellator Christie going through Ill, the Nexus imprint, and I have another another book uh, that should be coming out in 2025 coming out through the Nexus imprint as well. And folks, I want to tell you, this is a very good setup that uh, that TJ and Ireland have developed. So could you say a word uh, about Illative House Press and the publishing company? Yeah, absolutely. Our our, our idea, the vision of Illative House Press is to, is to have Christian publishing made easier. Um, and, and so whether someone is a veteran writer or they're brand new, uh, go check us out at, at, at illativehousepress.com and you will see who we are. Our goal is to provide uh, a, a fairly simple inroad to the publishing process, an outcome that the authors like where the majority of what's earned goes to them and to do it in a way that captures the best of technology um, has great people consulting and, and board members like yourself. Um, and, and right now I'm blessed to say we have five books under contract, uh, everything ranging from a devotional up to a doctoral dissertation that's going to be published on just war theory. And, and I challenge people if you are interested in writing or you know someone who is and you think I just need an opportunity, look into us. And uh, I, I don't think that you'll walk away sad. Um, and, and it's it, it's a long time vision in the process of coming to fruition. Um, and, and I'm blessed like you to have worked with some, some established publishers uh, and we're certainly not against them. But what we are saying is th- there is always more ministry than ministers. There's always more need for those books to get out there than publishing houses will put them out. We are joining the fray and, and stepping up to try to help with that. And I know this past or oh, the past the past month, I come across uh, two or three people, actually two people that were that had come up to me out of the blue because I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in divine appointments. But two people out of the blue said that, hey, you know, I've, I've been I thought about a book uh, that I've been writing on this different issue. Or, and another person had one on poetry and said, but I don't know how to get it published. And I was like, you see the light bulb <laughs> over my head. <laughs> right. Said, right. Hey, I know a publishing company and I shared the website. So I hope they follow through. They help they follow through and send right. in a proposal. I hope so. And and just to clarify, if folks are wondering, is this just a, another attempt at self-publishing? That's not what it is. Mm-hmm. We have a we have a clear editorial process. We have uh, professional marketing. Um, there's a there's a, a, a very uh, promising contract for the authors. Um, and w- my prayer when I, when we launched officially, it's been happening for about ten years. Was Lord, um, it's January one. Just help us at the end of the year to get a dozen books, one a month. Now, I'm not counting any of my books in those five. Uh, we are well past 10 if you put mine in there. And, and wow. as, you, as you know, I've, I've been in contracts with established houses, and I've gone to them and said, listen, will you let me out of the contract? If not, I'll honor it. But I would like to do this with this imprint. And, and every time they said, we think it's great, go for it. So I guess I'm saying I'm living on uh, the, the the reservation where this thing is. I'm in, you know, be in with us. <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. And I want to encourage everyone. It's, it's illativehousepress.com, correct? I-L-L-A-T-I-V-E. That's right. Illativehousepress.com. Um, I'm going to make sure our website's up right now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Illativehousepress.com. When you go there, it'll, it gives you the story uh, of how we came to be. It talks about our contracting process. There's a place on there where you can submit a proposal. It uh, doesn't obligate you, uh, doesn't obligate us, but it, it'll, it walks you right through it. It's a super simple process to, to get your foot in the door. And my prayer is that God will use Illative House Press and ministries like it to give voice to the many writers who are called to write, but don't see a way in to an industry that quite frankly is so rapidly changing and can be very difficult to get into. I'm not saying there are bad people on the other side of those rejection letters, but I do believe that the ministry of transformation uh, that's going to bring Lord willing, a, a, a return of the church to its roots uh, in the infallible word of God and the inerrant word of God is going to be much like the day of Luther Let's just get some stuff written and get it out there. We'll quality check it. We're not going to just put out pablum, but this is an opportunity to take that word of God and take it out in a lot of different venues and platforms. Amen. Amen. Folks, go check it out. If you are interested in publishing a book, maybe, I mean, I've, I've had people talk about that they had a book of poetry that they were working on and, and different things like that. Go check it out, illativehousepress.com. And, uh, I tell you what, I'm excited about this publishing company. I really am. Amen. Well, thank you for that plug, and I'm glad you're part of the team. Oh, my privilege. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, for Dr. T.J. Gentry, this is Dr. Brian Chilton saying, God bless. Remember, stay firm on the conviction of the Bible being the inspired infallible and inerrant word of god god is good he can be trusted and so you can trust him with his revelation so again for dr tj gentry this is dr brian chilton saying god bless and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also, tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.